Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is October 7th, 2022, and I'm joined as usual by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we're going to talk about nominate bad candidates, lose easy elections. Yes. And it seems like we may be on the path toward exactly that. You know, the midterms are almost here. And uh, one of the things that's happening is the polling is out there looking at everybody. And, and these polls are shifting quite a bit based upon what's happening in the uh, both in the country and among the candidates. But the there are Republicans who are already beginning to grumble that if a number of their candidates lose, it might be because of a stolen election. And what I would argue is that in this case, uh, it almost looks like the real cause for candidates losing in this case, Republican candidates losing would probably be because Republicans pick some really bad candidates. They pick some good ones in some cases, but they pick some really bad candidates. And this gets back to the issue of, Candidate selection is really, really important. Let's talk a little bit about what we mean and how we've ended up with what we're what we're describing as bad candidates. So right now within the Republican Party, I don't want to say conservative movement, but within the Republican Party, there's this very obvious stress where President Trump, former President Trump, still exerts a lot of influence mm-hmm. over over who gets nominated, who gets chosen for various uh, offices. And President Trump invests a lot of effort in this. He sees it as a way that he is retaining essentially control over the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And President Trump's criteria for who he endorses seems to be little more than um, do you fawn over President Trump? Do you agree with him that the election was stolen? Um, do you essentially allow him to, to basically set your your campaign agenda, your campaign tone in exchange for that? If you are sufficiently fawning over former President Trump, then he will endorse you in the primary election. But then the problem is President Trump doesn't put any money into getting you elected. He Mm -hmm. just gives you what he thinks is the most valuable thing he can do. And that is he gives you his endorsement. So you have president Trump influencing the candidate selection process uh, toward the most, what you might call the most Trumpy candidate. And that doesn't mean the most qualified. It doesn't mean the most knowledgeable. It doesn't mean the most experienced. It just means the most Trumpy candidate. You know, and not- then you have you have people like Peter Thiel, a very wealthy tech entrepreneur, who will then come along and fund those Trump endorsed nominees. And that powerful one-two punch of the Trump endorsement and the Peter Thiel money has meant that a lot of these candidates have actually won the primary and thus won the Republican nomination. But then when they get to the general election, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we've seen is because of the pandemic, because of a number of the policies that the Democrats imposed during the pandemic and right after it, because of the vaccines and other things, you had a lot of people just 
angry at the process, angry at what was happening, and come out of the woodwork and decide they want to run for something, whether it's school board, county judge, just a, you know city council, just a range of different things. And many of those people are their only qualification was, I'm really mad at what's happening, and I want to I want to get elected myself. And they don't bring uh, necessarily a history of being elected. They don't bring what you might call the normal qualifications to some of these contests and so forth. And then they come out and they're really angry at, say, wearing masks, mask mandates and other things. And then the people who are voting in the primary among Republicans oftentimes like that person because they are the, the primary voters are as angry about the mask mandate or something else as well. And so they elect somebody who's really not qualified to go into the uh, general election, but is uh, becomes a favorite of the people in the primary election. And we see this now in a number of cases, and especially in those states where uh, they were considered contested by uh, Donald Trump, whether you're talking about Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, several other states. Um, it's just they've in Georgia. And so they've come out and they these are candidates who have the Trump backing, but they're just not very good candidates. And the way we know this is a problem is there may be somebody else who's on a statewide ticket in that in that state. And one of them is doing very, very well. And the other isn't. So you see this in Georgia where Brian Kemp, who's running for reelection for the governor, is doing pretty well against his uh, challenger, Stacey Abrams. But then you have uh, Herschel Walker, who is new to the process. Uh, he could carry a football, but can he carry an election? Uh, and he's had a number of issues coming up uh, with behind his with his background and career and uh, certain things he's been involved with. And he can barely he's generally behind Raphael Warnock, the uh, current senator. And this is what a case where just a good qualified candidate would probably be beating Raphael Warnock by a, a large amount. But in fact, uh, Herschel Walker is trailing if at best. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about that a little bit more, because I think that's interesting. Um, when you look at a state like Georgia, uh, what the polling shows is that uh, Governor Kemp is polling like six points ahead of his Democrat challenger, Stacey Abrams. Right. But yet uh, Herschel Walker's polling like four points behind uh, Raphael Warnock. So what you've got there is literally a 10 point polling spread. So the point is that Herschel Walker's problem is not the environment. Herschel Walker's problem is not the state. Herschel Walker's not the problem. Herschel Walker's problem is not that a generic Republican can't win that seat. Herschel Walker's problem is that he's allows a candidate. And it may be that a few weeks from now, you know, Brian Kemp is strong enough to pull Herschel Walker across the finish line. But what we're discussing on this podcast is the fact that it seems like time after time after time, Republicans are nominating lousy candidates, whereas just a boring generic Republican uh, might have more or less coasted to victory. And, you you know, I'm puzzled by this because one of the things when you decide you're going to run for office and you get some advisors in there, one of the first things they'll say is if you've got some issues in your background, 
You need to get those out, get them up front so that people know them and you set the narrative about it. And maybe if it's it, maybe if you made some bad choices or something, you explain you've made some bad choices in the past, but you get it out and you own that narrative so that it doesn't keep dripping, dripping, dripping. And with Herschel Walker, it's drip, drip, drip. I mean, it's yeah, it's but, terrible. But see, but see, see, this is interesting because I, I think you're right, but I think you're hitting on you're hitting on something important, which is things are different now. When you were talking earlier about uh, nominees becoming the nominees just because they're angry or because people are angry, I'm going to sort of agree with you in part and disagree with you in part. This is kind of the second time in recent history this has happened. The first time it happened was during the height of the Tea Party. Mm -hmm. And the Tea Party really was driven by anger. It was driven by anger about Obamacare. It was driven by anger about um, candidate Obama saying he thought it was a good idea to spread the wealth around. And you saw this strong grassroots explosion that we called the Tea Party. And I think that was largely driven by anger, like, they're 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 taking our country away, and so you you had some very poor quality candidates. You had you had some you had a lot of poor quality candidates in the House of Representatives that won, but you had some very poor quality candidates for Senate that lost. Whereas any generic Republican probably would have won, and and I think what happened then is that literally angry Republicans in the in the primary nominated bad candidates who reflected their anger back to them. Uh, what what I think is going on right now is different. And I think it addresses the point you just made. I think what's going on right now is not so much the anger thing as it is the Trump endorsement. And the idea is that, you know, skeletons in your closet, uh, bad things you've said, bad things you've done, those are no lo- those are no longer eliminating factors for some voters because they voted for Trump despite all of that stuff. And so what I think happens now, I don't think the Republicans who are voting in these midterm elections, I don't think they think about it like we used to. I don't think they say, oh, this this guy might not be electable. This woman might have some skeletons in her closet. I don't know that this candidate has been fully vetted. I don't think a lot of Republican midterm voters care about that or or primary voters care about that anymore. I think all they care about is the Trump endorsement. And they were willing to vote for Trump despite all of his manifest issues. And they're still willing to vote for a Trump endorsed candidate, even if that candidate has manifest issues. But the problem is when it all starts to hit the fan is in the general election. When you suddenly find that you have nominated a candidate who is somewhere in the realm of unelectable or difficult to elect. And then if you do elect them, then you have them as as uh, members of the House or Senate, and uh, they aren't very good at what they're doing. So, I- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the other great point is, you know, when you when you nominate poor candidates, uh, a it's harder for them to get elected in a general election. But B, even if they win you kind of lose, right? Because, I mean, if you go all the way back to sort of a Edmund Burke kind of conservative philosophy, um, when we elect representatives, whether they are to the House or to the Senate, um, the idea is that you're not simply electing someone who will just be your proxy in the legislature. The idea is that you are electing someone 
whose judgment and experience and knowledge and wisdom you have confidence in, because they are going to be called upon to make all sorts of decisions and cast all kinds of votes. We don't have a direct democracy where the people vote on everything, and we don't have a proxy democracy where the only role of the elected representative is is to do what his people want him to do. Uh, Our system depends on electing people with knowledge and wisdom and experience, and the voters trust their judgment. And so when you have this situation where you're nominating bad candidates, I mean, do, do you or I trust Herschel Walker's knowledge and experience and judgment as a United States senator? I mean, even under the scenario where he wins, uh, you know, not I. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to agree with you and disagree you, with you to some extent, because I do think, as you point out, Trump sort of set a different standard and people were willing to forgive him where they might not have somebody else. But I would I would argue that actually goes back to Bill Clinton and some of his uh, uh, problems in the past that uh, that came to haunt him. And you so we've kind of gotten a little bit more inured to it. But the uh, the the issue that you have with with someone like Herschel Walker is that constant drip. You said you didn't have any illegitimate children. Now we find you have one. Now you have two. Now you have three. Now you have four. And and as a general voter, you get to the question of, I don't know if I can believe anything you say because you keep saying this. And there seems to be a lot of evidence to just the, to um, just the opposite. So I think that becomes the challenge for the voters as they would probably be willing to overlook some, uh, problems that Herschel Walker may have had in the past, but if they keep coming up and you keep denying them or you, they keep adding up, it's that point where you get, I just can't, I can't believe anything you say, which is where we are on, on, on some candidates now, but there you had Herschel Walker was sort of the leading person in Pennsylvania. You had another person, uh, a businessman who was wealthy, could probably have been a pretty good candidate. And yet they went with uh, Mehmet Oz as uh, the person who, um, Trump endorsed and had a bigger name, but it's not clear that he's got any real knowledge or expertise when it comes to being a senator. And you have uh, a similar situation in Arizona where you've got uh, Blake Masters, who's the Republican nominee for a Senate. There were some elected officials of the far, the attorney general of Arizona. Don't know if he was not very dynamic or something, but somebody who's been in office for a while has proven they can get elected and has already been vetted in many ways, sometimes would be better than a, a, a newcomer that you're just now learning about. You know, just over the last couple of decades, I'm, I'm really intrigued by something you said a few minutes ago. Just over the last couple of decades, we've gone to the point where the slightest known character flaw, like Gary Hart yes, fooling around, you know, with a woman, the slightest character flaw, or even or even uh, Edwards, even Senator Edwards, a few years right. ago, the slightest character flaw was enough to essentially uh, disqualify you uh, for running for higher office. It, it wasn't that long ago. It just wasn't that long ago, and now we're to the point where, say, Herschel Walker's defense against some of these things is that he has diagnosed mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. That's your defense. <laughs> I mean, do you know, do you do you want your senator to have 
multiple personality disorder? I mean, is that is that really where we are? And, you know, we had uh, candidates in um, we had candidates in Pennsylvania who had uh, were being accused of uh, spousal abuse and uh, uh, other things. So it uh, I, I think you're right. It did. It just kept, but that kept lingering. So somebody find that that particular candidate had to drop out. But it's just our expectations seem to be different now. But the to your point, the if getting the Trump endorsement seems to be the primary thing for some people, not everybody, because a lot of candidates out there are staying a little bit away from Trump. Uh, Youngkin from the governor of uh, Virginia never really went and embraced Trump, even though um, and he still he didn't he didn't reject him, but he didn't embrace him. And that worked out well for him in in, uh, Virginia. And that looks like really a very good candidate who won. Well, you know, I think the the main point here and this is not unique to you or to me, but the main point here is that it seems obvious that there is a structural problem right now within the republic within the Republican Party that those who vote in primaries are picking out highly flawed bad candidates because they're using the wrong set of criteria. They're using either faithfulness to Trump or they're using a degree of anger or they're using inflammatory rhetoric or whatever. But the result is that that we've got this pattern, and it's very obvious in this election cycle that there's about five or six races that Republicans could win easily if they had boring, generic candidates. But because we have highly flawed candidates, it may end up being a very close thing. And uh, we should probably do another podcast uh, on sort of like what we think maybe the solutions to some of these things might be. Um. I personally think primaries are a terrible idea just in general. <laughs> and I think that what we're describing on this podcast is sort of evidence of that. It's huge news to a lot of people that primaries are a relatively recent political innovation. This is not how it was always done. There are other ways for parties to choose nominees. Uh, and it might be that a return to some of those other ways uh, might be part of the solution to this problem we're describing. But one piece uh, of advice I would give out there to uh, to voters is it's not just the primary, it's the general election. And that's why I'll, I'll, I'll mention this, because William F. Buckley once was criticized for not voting for the most conservative candidate. And his statement that he came up with, which has become something of a classic, he said, and I'm, I'm quoting now, that he would uh, vote for, he would back the most right, that is conservative, the most right viable candidate who could win. And not win the primary, but could win the election. And that means in certain areas, you might, if you're in certain states, you might have to vote for a more moderate candidate than you would otherwise vote for. That's where, from either from a liberal or conservative side, but in a more, um, in a more conservative state, you're, you're fine with that. So Susan Collins could not win the Senate in Texas. But Ted Cruz probably can't win the Senate in Maine, where Susan Collins is from. And so you have to think about your, the other people out there and who can actually win the election. It's a really, really good point. And this is a point that's lost, I think, on a lot of our conservative brethren. And I'm reminded of the example of Chris Shays. Do you remember Chris Shays, who was yes. a member of the House of Representatives yes. from Connecticut? 
He was a very moderate to liberal Republican. He was a out gay member of Congress back in a time when that was not very common at all. Um, but Chris Shays was a Republican, and about 50% of the time he voted with Republicans. And at some point, some Republicans decided that Chris Shays was too liberal and had to be run out of office. And ever since then, that office has been held by a Democrat. Yep. So, you know, a, a Republican who's going to a moderate Republican who's going to vote with you 50 percent of the time is better than a Democrat who's going to vote for you 5 percent of the time. Uh, and I think that a lot of our a lot of our conservative brethren need to really take that Buckley quote to heart that what we want to vote for is the most the most conservative electable candidate, not necessarily the most conservative candidate. And that definition will change depending upon where you live. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org and to sign up if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, content, and events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. <music>